the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. And uh, I want to pivot to the topic of opening and, and more specifically the challenges that are being faced by a number of churches, uh, not just in California, but, but all up and down the West Coast and other parts of the country too, for that matter, where there are conflicting directives. In some cases they say stores can be open but they need to practice social distancing, and yet gatherings of any sort, absolutely verboten, regardless of whether or not they would be willing to engage in protective practices or social distancing. And this certainly raises some questions in terms of, is this too far? In other words, what are the challenges that need to be weighed in the public safety viewpoint of COVID-19? versus constitutional protections. Because even during a, a, a health emergency of this sort, that doesn't mean that you disband with all of our constitutionally protected rights. Let's get some insights now. Constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus joins us. And counselor, I know that this is a treacherous area to sort of um, try to weigh into as we balance this question of health and safety concerns of the public on one hand versus constitutional rights on the other. And um, it, it seems as if in a lot of cases, um, municipalities and state governors are getting a failing grade on this. They certainly are, Craig, and uh, for good reason, uh, because uh, a number of the governors, uh, minority of the governors, actually, uh, in states like California, Oregon, Washington, Illinois, New York, and, and a few others, uh, have been just outrageous in terms of um, their degree of infringement on rights versus uh, the emergency situation to, to allegedly warrant it. For example, when this thing first happened, we thought over 2 million people were going to die. We had to bunker down for two weeks. Uh, you know, the peak was going to come and go, and then we we're all going to get back to you know a, a reasonable life with with precautions and reasonable precautions. Um, that wasn't the case. Two months have gone by, and uh, in these in these certain states in particular are not opening up, or they're not reopening, and um, and we have fundamental rights that can be infringed upon for a a short period of time for emergency situations, but not for a prolonged period. Um, where the infringement becomes uh, normality. Unfortunately, that's where we are. The Attorney General Barr has already alluded to that a number of times, and uh, that's why we at Pacific Justice Institute have uh, really stepped up uh, the pressure on a number of different fronts to attack uh, these, um, what I believe are uh, clearly uh, unwarranted uh, degrees of infringement upon our, our liberties, while still, of course, wanting to be responsible uh, to uh, the, the the safety ad, uh, issues um, as they actually are, and there are several things that need to be weighed here: constitutional rights, along with the fa near fatal impact 
uh, tremendous strain that churches are feeling as a result of the financial impact of all of this. And, of course, if it was just, well, you know, we're not holding church service anymore, so let's close out the lights and <laughs> and call it a day. But the problem is that there are so many ancillary ministries that are also equally being impacted, everything from soup kitchens and programs for the homeless to um, uh, mentoring programs, and, and, and certainly even Christian schools have all been impacted by this. And so I, I guess from a health, public health concern, it's easy to say, just shut it all down without recognizing that this really becomes a, a snowball effect, doesn't it, in terms of the longer you go, the more protracted this is, the more challenging it's going to be, and potentially disastrous, um, not only from a practical standpoint, a functional and operational standpoint of many churches, but then, too, the big equation, as you point to, of um, there are limits to what government can do, even in a crisis, even in an emergency. Where do we find balance in all this? Yeah, I think the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals just uh, about two days ago, actually, uh, came down with a very uh, solid decision. It was on Monday. And uh, they uh, came down with a decision saying that, um, that churches and religious institutions um, should be treated the same as other businesses and other institutions in other words, the court said, um, this is a part of, of a life. This is life essential. Religion and faith and worship is life essential. It's not an entertainment, as Governor Newsom puts in the category of entertainment and opens us up in the churches in September with the, the football games. No, the Sixth Circuit said absolutely not. This is very important for the mental, emotional uh, health of individuals and our functioning. And uh, they, it was a fantastic decision. And they came down and they said, it is wrong for the courts uh, for, or for governors uh, to assume in their policies that churches somehow are not able to live up to the same degree of safety measures as Walmart and other businesses. And it was a, a very solid opinion, uh, thanks to, this goes back to court appointments, thanks to President Trump's uh, judicial appointments to that circuit, that's why we had this this decision that came down. Otherwise, I think it would have been very, uh, potentially very different. Now, fast forward as far as California goes, uh, we have uh, several thousand churches up and down the state preparing to open on May 31st. Um, and now the governor has come out and threatened martial law. He threatened martial law. Uh, he was in the last hour, hour and a half, uh, in an article that just just came out, uh, seeing him quote that as a possibility. Uh, so there's a real showdown here, and I think instead what we need to do is California, we need to learn from other states um, that, like Texas and, and others that are reopening, re-recognizing uh, religious freedom in a, in a responsible way, and getting life back to, to normal. Their rates are not spiking. Texas is not spiking. And, um, and so now it's, it's, it's a question of is this un unnecessary uh, tyranny and infringement upon civil liberties that really is not warranted, and every single day that passes by, that becomes more and more of a convincing uh, proposition against uh, the governor of California, and it's something we should all take very seriously. We at Pacific Justice are taking it very seriously. We have a number of legal, legal measures we're taking right now, and we have a major lawsuit we just filed in Oregon, and that will be heard in oral argument tomorrow morning to challenge that governor's unlawful use of powers over the 60-day limit. And I would imagine here at the end of the day, I mean, we, we need to, to a certain degree, trust people that they're going to use and exercise uh, reasonable restraint, reasonable caution. 
um, social distancing, wearing of face masks, things of this sort, all of the necessary measures that we've been hearing about for the last uh, two months ad nauseum um, in order to allow people to still gather and yet do so in a, a safe environment as as possible. I mean, is it necessary for us to pass a law in California that says thou shalt not jump out in front of a moving car? I mean, I, I, you know, <laughs> there's a degree to which you have to say, you know, people have to take accountability for their own safety and their own welfare. And so if if you make guideline recommendations and we understand what the what the rules of engagement are, so to speak, I don't understand why that isn't deemed um, appropriate or sufficient that suddenly we need to say, and in addition to this, we're going to pass a law that says you shouldn't jump out in the middle of moving traffic. I mean, it seems kind of ludicrous. Yeah, it really does. And, and that's one reason why we at Pacific Justice Institute decided to, to help churches and the government. Uh, we came down with, uh, for churches in uh, not-so-friendly communities, uh, we have came down with a 96-point checklist for indoor services, another extensive checklist for outdoor services, and, of course, uh, drive-in services are, cl- are clearly protected, uh, except San Diego. It looks like we may have to challenge something they just came out with. But, um, and then in addition, for counties, uh, we have prepared uh, a, a shorter version, a very clear, succinct, uh, established policies for counties to step in and say, okay, uh, churches, you can reopen. Here's the, the, basic, the basic guidelines. We want rec- you know, recognized safety guidelines. They're no-brainers, basic things that every church should do. And it gives them some structure so that counties and governments, and hopefully even the governor, uh, can uh, can use it to move forward and uh, stop this ridiculous uh, overreaction uh, that um, is really beyond reason and, and rationale. You have another one of your um, now uh, generally famous um, conference calls coming up this Thursday. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, and I tell you, we have them, we're having them weekly. I'm looking forward to not having them weekly, but we things are moving so quickly we have no choice. Um, tomorrow we're going to talk about how churches can reopen. And we're going to give some updates on, on the different states, um, how things are, are moving, and some, some tips and pointers that can make it really a particularly a greater protection for churches, depending on whether they're in a, a friendly area or not-so-friendly area. And mind you, as an attorney, I can never recommend any church or individual to violate the law, and we're not doing that. But we are letting churches know of the consequences that they may be facing or not facing, based upon where they're located in the state of California and specifically what they can do to mitigate those consequences moving forward. Uh, I really do believe we're going to see um, a host of churches up and down the state opening up with either op- with their outdoor services or indoor services, and uh, they need to know understand um, how to, to mitigate those consequences uh, if they're going to move in that direction. And, of course, we at Pacific Justice will represent these churches without charge as we're defending one right now in the San Francisco Bay Area where a pastor in his church is being criminally prosecuted after engaging in using safety measures uh, to have a, a church service. Now, this was during Easter, so the, ti- the, the timing was a little different. The uncertainty was a little different, but um, nonetheless, we're having to defend this uh, wonderful pastor in his church uh, from the, this criminal prosecution by the state and possible imprisonment. So it's, uh, it's very serious, and that's where we've gone out of our way to give real detailed counsel to churches who are moving in that direction uh, so they can do so wisely and discern and, and with discernment. 
This uh, next conference call coming up on Thursday, May 14th, 2 p.m. Pacific time and uh, no cost, but you do need to register. To do so, simply go to pacificjustice.org and you can register easily online. That's pacificjustice.org. And our thanks to constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, for that update. Again, register online. The next conference call on how churches can safely reopen taking place this Thursday, May 14th, 2 p.m. Pacific. Register online, pacificjustice.org. A look at traffic now from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. You know, ironically, in the course of the last... Two months now. So much of the American dialogue has been centered around the issue of life, tragic loss of life, and seeing certainly at the fringes some of the most vulnerable succumbing to COVID-19. Um, you have seen this absolutely decimating nursing homes in so many parts of the U.S., and all of the hand-wringing, I think, is um, justifiable. It, it, it's, it's tragic when you see people that are vulnerable um, put in harm's way and literally losing their life for no choice of their own. And yet, the utter irony, as much as we are hand-wringing over thousands of people, and I, I'm not in any way diminishing the impact of the tragic loss of life here, up over 80,000. And yet the irony is not 10 times that number, but heading towards 100 times that number is the calculated loss of another vulnerable part of our population, and that is children. Children who have literally lost their lives through no choice of their own because they were victim of the hands of an abortionist. And ironically, most Americans do not agree with abortion on demand, and yet you'd hardly tell it from the way we invest tax dollars into it, the way there is the influence and support of organizations like Planned Parenthood all across the country. Well, there's a new idea out that I think whose time certainly has come, and we've invited Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee and host of Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX, to give us a look at the Unborn Sanctuary Resolution. And, Brian, this is a great idea. Tell us more about it. Yes, Craig, I think the time has come for California, as you just pointed out. The average Californian, we all think, well, California is a pro-choice state. But that's not really true. That's only if you use that exact word. If you ask the average Californian about the details regarding abortion, and in particular about late-term abortion from six months on, they're not in favor of that. And especially if there's no hard reason, no medically indicated reason, and yet that is exactly what we found out in the Freedom of Information Act request from earlier this year. Now, that's all been 
That was in January we filed that. But the state of California responded, and the the COVID news has covered it up, you might say, but the state of California has printed in ink. You, as a taxpayer, are paying for abortions throughout all nine months, and there need be nothing wrong with the mother, nothing wrong with the child, no medically indicated reason, and that's in the words of the state of California Department of Health Services. But there's more. Just as most of, of America was alarmed when the state of New York and the states of, of Virginia and New Jersey proposed that same measure there, unlimited abortion through all nine months, and if the child was born alive, to allow that child to die. A child born alive. Now, when Governor Northam said that, people were deeply alarmed because the average American doesn't agree with that. That isn't what they mean by choice. Now, the state of California has admitted that they're paying for these abortions throughout the pregnancy of healthy kids and healthy mothers, but we actually have in California a statute that says if the child's born alive in the course of an abortion, it should be cared for as if born naturally. However, right now, state of California refuses to enforce that statute. It's on the books. It's an admission by the state that that's a moral responsibility, yet it will not be enforced by this legislature and this governor. It's a huge issue because that same child, we have fire stations, that that same child will be rescued by a, a, a fireman who works for the government. He'll care for that child born alive that was going to end up in a trash can, just like Governor Northam suggested. But we're already making that commitment that people don't understand. They're not told this. They don't see the connection that abortion is disposing of this human baby, and it can be done through all nine months. They're just not talking about it. L.A. Times, PBS, NBC, Sacramento Bee. The Mercury News, they aren't going to talk about that. That They're going to talk about things the way, the way they culturally want you to view them. And so an amazing thing has happened. The unborn sanctuary resolution, there were several cities when Governor Northam made his stunning announcement. And when those bills were being introduced in other legislatures, it was introduced in in. Santa Fe, the capital of New Mexico, that same measure, but it failed by one vote. And the reason it failed by one vote is a small town in New Mexico. Roswell, New Mexico, as a city, they said, you know, we're not state lawmakers, but we're lawmakers, and this is evil, and we will not endure this. We stand against this. And they passed a resolution that they would be a sanctuary for the unborn child in Roswell, New Mexico, of all places. Turns out that their state senator thought better, and then she refused to vote for her. And that measure in the state legislature failed. And what that tells you is that local politics has great import, and that if you raise your voice, you can have an impact. And at the city council, that's the lowest level 
of elected responsibility. So here in California, we are seeing, and it's starting now, and if you went to unbornsanctuary.org, you would see there are eight towns in Orange County right now that are preparing to put across the desk an unborn sanctuary resolution. And these are towns where the mayor and a city council member, and because of Robert's rules, if someone makes the motion, you need a second person in order for there to be debate. So wherever there's at least two pro-life city council members, we're seeing towns saying, we've had enough. The media is lying about abortion. The average Californian is lying about abortion. In our town, firemen are equipped and directed to protect these very same babies who are about to be thrown out. This is wrong, and we're taking a stand. This is a very exciting movement, and it's just beginning, and people would think, well, not in California, but I think this is the state that we have to, from a, a, a grass fire, a ground, uh, you know, a, a groundswell, because it's not going to come out of Sacramento. It's not going to come out of Gavin Newsom. I promise you that. And he makes Governor Northam's position on abortion seem tame. He's committed entirely to the abortion industry. It's shameful. I wish he wasn't. But it is these types of local efforts that change things, and that's what changes states communities make up a state. And this, I think, is the hope for California to really wake up. And while we can look at Orange County, we know that that was the traditional home of conservatism in California. There's a lot of places that are ready for this. It may not come to San Francisco yet, but I see the fact that this puts it before people's eyes. And the resolution, you can go to that website. And Craig, what I appreciate, and we've we were asked to help in California. The gentleman who pushed this in New Mexico and then he went to Utah, he asked for our help in California. And I see the power in this because there's many pro-life people who don't understand that abortion is legal that late. That's where your friends agree with you. The polls show that your neighbors who've never darkened the door of a church, they don't agree with abortion that late. That your neighbors agree that, yeah, it's a good thing that babies can be, can be left with firemen so they're not thrown away. Your neighbors agree with you already. We want to make sure that they know. And this is how we can do it because, again, the Mercury News just isn't going to do it for us. They're not going to tell the real facts. And the San Francisco Chronicle, they're just not quite uh, on our side on this. And unless we make known the facts, it, it, they won't be known. So it's a tremendous opportunity. And, again, it's begun in Orange County. And folks can find out more at unbornsanctuary.org, unbornsanctuary.org. And we're one of many groups that are supporting this. It isn't just from California Pro-Life. This is a very wise approach, and you can see more about why it's wise. The cool thing is this. Uh, it can't be struck by law. They can't bring it to court. We know their opponents love going to court. That's how they got Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton. They just bring it to court, and they find judges that will give them what they want. But because it's a resolution, this cannot be litigated in court. This is a determination by elected representatives of what their convictions are. 
and it, it proclaims, it's a proclamation that we believe government exists to protect the lives of people in our city. That's why we exist. That's why they hold public office, to protect. That's why firemen are there. That's why policemen are given badges and guns, to protect the innocent. It's a tremendous opportunity to affirm what the right to life is really all about. And, you know, what's interesting about this is the notion, as you indicate, um, Brian, that this is not going to really spur a lot of heated constitutional debate or wrangling through the court system, um, because at the end of the day, it's not a law, it's a resolution. And cities and municipalities pass resolutions all the time declaring this, you know, International Day of the Donut or San Francisco infamous for the kinds of resolutions that they pass that range from the sublime to the absolute ridiculous. And I think what's beautiful about this is it's an opportunity for people of a given municipality to have their voice heard, to register their feelings, their opinions, to make it known, to underscore what we already know and believe um, of the general sense of most Americans that they do not favor abortion on demand, contrary to what those who have a financial stake in all of this would like to tell you. And so to pass a resolution like this that simply, in a sense, helps to declare what we've already known from the science behind it all to the the moral position that most Californians take on all of this. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see who would be willing to stand up against it and to fight it. If folks listening... Uh, Brian, you mentioned about a number of municipalities across Orange County considering this. If folks would like to see this advanced in their own town, is there information available at unbornsanctuary.org to uh, to help educate them as to how to go about doing that? Yes, and what I recommend is go to the website unbornsanctuary.org, and it says find your town. And you'll see the towns that are already signed up. But if you, you don't see your town listed, and in Northern, there are, there's only one town in, I think, Roseville, the first one, in Northern California. But you can sign up, and then you'll get emails explaining how to do this, because this is a spiritual battle. Let's, let's, this isn't going to be as easy. It is powerful, but there's a battle, there's a methodology because we want people to understand what's really going on. That's the power of this resolution. Is it underscores that same baby that firemen are saving, <laughs> that same baby can be set aside by an abortionist and thrown in a bucket. That exact same baby. And the only mistake that girl makes when she throws the baby in the trash herself is, oh, she could have just hired somebody to do that. Abortionists do that all the time. They throw babies out, even late term. And the power in that contradiction is why, when people are asked about aspects of abortion, they just don't go along with it. That is, and again, as we've talked about, we, we talked about on Life Matters as well, Craig, the right to life is a self-evident truth, is what our founder said. These are self-evident truths. And what we want to do in discussing the right to life with our neighbors is, is show them. It isn't about, well, I believe life begins to etc. I believe this or I believe that. 
No, show them, demonstrate. And this is an opportunity to demonstrate this is a human child. And we can debate the earlier abortion some other time. But the state is saying they're doing this all the time. The state of California is paying for this. And it really helps clarify what is happening here. This is the mass disposal of human beings. And it's inescapable. You can't. And, and it will be debated at certain city councils. We already know that. And the great opportunity, I did speak to the mayor of Lake Forest in Orange County, and he knows one of his, one of the council members is going to be very upset and will say, you know, this is for the Supreme Court. This isn't our place, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it diminishes a woman's right to choose. All the standard things we know we'll hear. And his approach is he's going to say, well, councilwoman, you're free to vote against it. And, in fact, you're welcome. If you want to take go down and try to take the sign off the fire station, you're more than welcome to do that, and we'll take your picture doing it. Because you're clarifying what you mean by choice. You're clarifying that the goal in abortion is basically to end a life. And that's what the state is doing right now. Here's the documents. That is what the state does. And we cannot abide it. And we, ironically, as representatives of the voters, we've already taken the position you shouldn't throw babies out. So we know how we're going to vote on this because we've already made this commitment as a community. And we want to affirm life at every turn. And then, and there's so many, in almost all of these towns, there's crisis pregnancy centers. There are churches. If you don't have an actual CPC in your town, there are churches. There are, in fact, the, the adoption. There's 2 million couples right now in the U.S. willing to adopt a child. And a child, even with disabilities, every child is a wanted child right now. But that's being ignored. And that's what people have to realize what choice really means. is It means just getting rid of the kid. And until that reality is really looked at, California won't change and America won't change. So it's a great opportunity as well. And as a resolution, it's a starting point. It's a starting point because some of these towns have been wrangled by Planned Parenthood and their ilk into kind of artificially supporting them through, you know, other things. It's a way to start chipping away at the stranglehold that the culture of death has on our government. Because if the government did not finance the abortion industry, it would wither away. It's become, and particularly in California, a government-sponsored entity. So this is a way for government, local government, to say, you know, stop right here. We're not going. And it's a safe way for them to do it because it can't be litigated. It's merely our desire, our proclamation of commitment, but there's nothing banned, ironically. They're not going to ban abortion in that town. And one of the reasons we know that is immediately be in court and immediately be rendered ineffective. So by having a ban for that town, you're just inviting a punch in the nose that you can't stop because the courts is where they rule and reign. But it doesn't control our convictions or the convictions of these, these local representatives. It's a chance for them to speak up and to make known the facts and that they don't agree with what abortion is doing right now in California. 
So it, it's a wonderful tool. And again, your town, you can sign up and put your town in and your address, and you'll get information how to start the process. Uh, and you, it, it's a strategy. There's a strategic method, and you'll see. Please read the resolution. I think everybody should read the resolution. It's straightforward. And there's citations. Every statement there is is proven with a link to state government affirmation that this is true. So you're giving people objective facts, and that's what self-evident truths mean. We base the law on objective facts, and the right to life, uh, when people know the facts, people, people favor life. The Unborn Sanctuary Resolution, again, is a, a proclamation. It's not changing the law by any means, but it does give a community to uh, the opportunity to stand up and make their position known. It also will force members of a city council to make their position known as well. Critically important, particularly as so often they sort of move up the political chairs, so to speak, from local municipality to county government, state, and so on. Unbornsanctuary.org, that's the website address where you can see a copy of the resolution. Find out if your town is involved. Find out how you can get this resolution um, before consideration. And again, that's sang- uh, unbornsanctuary.org, unbornsanctuary.org. Dot O-R-G. Brian Johnston, thank you so much for the update. Be sure to tune in to Life Matters every Saturday at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX with Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.